0: Welcome to another episode of the Souvenirs Podcast. This week, we have former guest and third-generation homeowner, Robert Brunder, also known as Robo. Robo will take us on a ride back to the days when his family boarded the train from Chicago and headed west to Arizona. He shares his lifelong memories of spending time at the ranch, and there might be a train tale or two. So without further delay, let's hop on board and head west with Robo. Hi, Robo.
1: Hi, Super. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And, You're uh, welcome. And, uh, it's been fun uh, taking some notes, getting ready for this interview, and reflecting on. I'm going to focus on the, my mother's family history at Lost Cab because her, her parents, the Blakeneys, George and Janet Blakeney, came here in 1950, roughly, and built their home on the South Mesa somewhere between 51 and, and 52. Uh, small home on the South Mesa, which has since been torn down. And people say, well, where, where was your grandparents' home on the South Mesa? And I, and I like to jokingly say, it's underneath Lanny Martin's garage, and it was smaller than Lanny's garage. <laughs> and, and most of the homes on the South Mesa were tiny compared to what they are today. And if you, someone wants to see what the houses used to look uh, like on the South Mesa, they would go and look at the Combs House, C-O-M-B-S. The Combs House is a good example of what, and maybe the Armstrong House, a good example of what the houses in the 50s and 60s looked like on the South Mesa.
0: So what is your earliest recollection of the ranch? Um,
1: it, it goes well, it goes back to the uh, early, mid-50s, when I would have come here as a little tyke, uh, somewhere between the age of four and six. Uh, I was born in 48, and like I said, my grandparents came here in 1950 because my grandmother Janet Blakeney had, Janet Pierce Blakeney, had uh, emphysema from from smoking. And her doctors told her the only way she could live comfortably was being in a, in a dry climate. So, like many people, including Edie Cortine Gant, came to the Southwest to deal with asthma issues, emphysema, TB, whatever. You know, lung issues they might have had in those days were dealt with by coming to a dry climate. I, I would my hunch is that a big part of the Southwest was settled either by cowboys and ranchers and people from the Midwest or the East who had lung issues and had to come to the desert. So grandparents came here in the, in nineteen in the early fifties, built a home on the South Mesa, and we would come here as a family to visit the grandparents. Sometime between early March and mid-April, either spring break or Easter, or Easter time, depending on when the school breaks. There were five of us kids, but in the early years, it was only three kids. My older sister, Tekla Babby, who was the same age as Rusty Gant. My brother, Charlie, or myself, first first son. And brother, Charlie, uh, second son. Uh, came here in the early 50s with our parents on the train, and I'll describe that in a minute. And then, as the, in the later 50s, five kids came down on the train: my other brother David and youngest sister Amy. So the sisters are the bookends; the oldest, the two the oldest, and the youngest, and the three boys were in the middle. So lucky us! We every every spring we would. Uh, start pack the process of packing duffel bags and suitcases, but it was mainly duffel bags. There were no roller bags in those days, so those didn't didn't exist. And if there were airplanes, we weren't, we weren't going on them. We packed all our duffel bags for seven to eight people because sometimes a babysitter or nanny would come along. Plus my father's guns, his shotguns and rifles, and at least two dogs would come on the train with us. We'd pack all that into a big station wagon, and my grandparents' uh, caretaker, chauffeur, would drive us down to uh, Union Station in downtown Chicago. We'd unload everything, get it somehow, get it all on the train, and take the, the three day, two night train trip down to uh, Wickenburg, going through Kansas City, Omaha, Lincoln. Nebraska, and many other whistle stops along the way. And my job and my brother's job, Charlie's job, was to get the dogs at each stop, get the dogs off the train, make sure the dogs went to the bathroom, and get back on the train before it pulled out of the station. And the conductors were great, great helps to that, because they sometimes have to pick up the dogs, and we'd run to jump on the train uh, as it it was pulling out of the station. But... uh, we love the train rides down here, and to be honest with you, many years I remember more about the train rides to and from than I do about actually being here at the ranch. Those those years tend to blend in, but basically from the early 50s to the mid-60s, we came down here every spring on the Santa Fe Chief with the full regalia of trains in those days, the white tablecloths in the dining car, the... Uh, the porters and the butlers on the trains, all African-American, and they the balance these guys had was unbelievable. These guys could serve a meal in a, in a train that's rocking back and forth. They could serve a full meal and drinks before the meal without spilling anything. And one of my favorite things to do was to go in the kitchen, the dining car, and see how these guys, you know, did their work in the kitchen's while well, the train was rocking back and forth. The other favorite place on the train was the Dome Car, and my, my nickname on the, on the trains over the years was Dome Car. Where's Robo? Oh, he's in the Dome Car, which was the Vista, the Vista Car, the glass top, where you could just see forever. You could see across the plains, and, and uh, you could see the Rocky Mountains, you know, half a day before you got to the Rocky Mountains from, from up in the Vista Car. And we all had, we, the parents had their, their private room on the train and, and the kids would double up in our bunk rooms and they all had Murphy beds fold out, the beds folded out of the wall. And uh, I could talk the whole time about the trains. <laughs> so we'd, we'd arrive in Flagstaff and usually, oftentimes early in the morning, arrive, pull into Flagstaff station and we'd spend at least an hour there where they would take the Wickenburg car off the train and put it on another train that was going down to Phoenix. Because the Santa Fe Chief, the, the Rio Grande Railroad, did not go through Phoenix. Phoenix was, you know, Prescott was, I think, the first capital of Arizona, and Phoenix was kind of an afterthought. That was the flatland down there, the valley, and the dry valley down there. And so they take the car off the Santa Fe Chief, put it onto a spur line, go eventually to Phoenix, but stop in Wickenburg. And when we arrived in Wickenburg, there, and this is one of the earliest memories, grandfather George Blakeney standing at, this, at the railroad station in Wickenburg that still exists, where the two big steam engine trains and caboose are down there, and he waved to us as we pulled into the station, and he was there with his car. I don't remember much about his car, but I remember the ranch car. It was a Los Caballeros woody station wagon. And we would load all the duffel bags and guns and dogs and people into the grandfather's car and, uh, and the, uh, the ranch the ranch wagon. And come over to the ranch, check into one of the older rooms here on the south end near near my grandparents' home so we could walk to back and forth to the grandparents' house. And we'd unpack. And one of the early, really wonderful memories... Of every trip down here was unpacking in the rooms because you knew you were at the ranch when you walked in the rooms and went in those closets. The closets had their own unique smell. The the, uh, the dressers were all in the closets, and we would claim our dresser and claim our closet, and uh, you know unpack everything, hang up the riding clothes, put the boots in the closet, put all the clothes in the drawers, and then we knew we were we we had arrived. We were at the ranch. And probably first day, we'd go visit grandmother, um, who was, unfortunately, on an oxygen machine at least half the time. And when she wasn't on the oxygen machine, she was puffing on a cigarette, (laughs) and maybe in the evening, having her cocktail and a cigarette. Um, She was a horseback rider in her younger days, but she had a a bad fall off of her horse back in, in Wisconsin, North Lake, Wisconsin, where... We came from, and they had a family farm called Peary Farms, and she had a bad horse accident and, unfortunately, never rode after that and was never quite the same after that, had a head injury um, from the horse accident. So anyway, we'd see the grandparents the first day, and to be honest with you, maybe Brother Charlie saw them more because he was very close to my grandmother. They both had uh, physical ailment issues. And uh, and then the next time I remember seeing the grandparents was the last day we were here. So we'd go into the kids' program, and in those days, for us young kids, um, single-digit age, it was all about the kids' program. We were in the kids' program from breakfast until dinner, and it was all about the kids' activities in the activity room, the game room, the playground, the corral, you know, riding around the corral, learning learning to ride horses, and then getting out on trail rides. And I, my recollection is that wranglers would decide when you were ready to go on a trail ride. It wasn't so much age-based as it was when the wrangler thought you were ready to handle the horse and go on the trail ride. And how
0: um, old were you when you got your first ride?
1: Um, in, in the corral, you know... Well, somewhere between four and six in the corral and probably age six out on the trail certainly age six in the in the rodeo ring so in in those days there was no golf course and there might have been the two tennis courts might have been there it might have been one tennis court but the ranch was all about riding this this was a riding a horse ranch you didn't come here unless you wanted to ride a horse or felt comfortable around so we would uh we rode, you know, almost every day, and then each week there was training for the rodeo at the end of the week, maybe Friday, Saturday. I can't remember, but we would train in the arena, barrel racing, stake bending, uh, egg, the egg run, and, and uh, with the spoon and other games in the in the in the uh, in the big corral in the rodeo ring, and one of the greatest experiences and memories was riding two rodeos at other ranches. So riding over to Flying E for their rodeo, riding to Ramuda for their rodeo.
0: On horseback? On
1: horseback, yeah. We've, they didn't trail the horses in those days. You rode you rode the horses to wherever you were going. And Ramuda and, and Flying E are the two main rodeos. I remember there might have been one other ranch rodeo. But they also came to Los Cab as well. We had big rodeos down there and their pictures, all over around here of all the cars parked around the arena, people sitting on the hoods of the cars or standing on the roofs of the cars to watch watch the rodeos. And everybody, if you were in the kids' program, you participated in the rodeo, unless you were deathly afraid of horses, in which case you probably weren't spending a lot of time around the corral. Oh, and I, in the kids' program, there were wonderful counselors. Every year, I sort of vaguely recall it, Every year it seemed like there was a different counselor because the only one I really got to know a little bit was Jody Anderson, uh, Andy's wife, Jody, who was a counselor at least two or three years in a row. And uh, I remember her more because when I came back to the ranch as an adult, Jody would say, Robo, I was your counselor. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you convinced me. I can't remember a year that we that we didn't come at spring break time and I can't remember a year that we didn't take the train other than one year we came down here camping. That's a whole other story because we ended up in Prescott where my grandparents would live in the summer in Prescott. They tried to bring her back one year from Lost Cab to uh, Wisconsin, to the Lake Country where they lived and uh, she, she got sick very quickly so they Brought her back down in the fall to Arizona, and then, and then she never came back. And she, Janet, Janet Blakeney, uh, she passed away here in Wickenburg in 1964. Your grandmother? Grandmother, yeah. But grandfather kept coming down here. He, he loved it here. He could play golf. He, he rode, but he was mainly a golfer. And he golfed at the Wickenburg Country Club, a nine-hole golf course. And I got to golf with him a few times over there when it was a nine-hole golf course. He was not alive or he wasn't here at the ranch when the golf course was started in the, in the 80s. He died in uh, somewhere around 76, 78. No, he died in 76 because our first daughter was born in 76.
0: Your dad brought out guns for hunting?
1: For hunting. There's a quail hunting option around, around the ranch. But dad, he was a collector of, of guns, So he'd go up to the skeet range, shoot skeet and trap, but mainly he brought the guns because he was a collector of guns and he liked showing off his guns to his buddies. And uh, whenever he walked around in the desert, he always had a six-shooter on his side and, and a dog, and so he was always protecting his dog from javelinas and rattlesnakes. And he finally admitted to me as an older man, he said, Robo, I probably... Never would have been able to shoot a rattlesnake, hit a rattlesnake or a javelina with my pistol, but I sure scared him away. <laughs> the noise would scare away.
0: Do you have a favorite employee that you remember over the years?
1: The year that Kathy and I were deciding whether we were going to buy this house and spend more time here, which we ultimately did, obviously, um, which was about three or four years ago, I was up at the at the ranch lodge, the main entrance, talking to Jim Voss outside the, the ranch door. God bless dear Jim Voss. Brewer Jim, we called him. He was originally from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, and he loved the Milwaukee Brewers, and his nickname was Brewer Jim. So Jim and I are talking, and Jim mentions the name Robo, mentions my name, or asks me a question, and there's a man standing on the other side of the front door who I didn't recognize, named Larry Quinn who was one of the evening, evening managers at the ranch. So Larry comes over and says, Robo, is your name, are you Robo Brumder? And I said, yes, I am, Robert Blakeney Brumder. And uh, he said, I knew your grandparents. I said, oh, really, Larry, you knew, you knew George and Janet Blakeney? And he said, no, Robo, I knew B and Bumpa. And right then I knew, he really knew my grandparents because he knew their nicknames. Janet's nickname was B, my mother's nickname, and George's nickname was Bumpa. Um, So Larry Quinn's mother was my grandmother's nurse, who they met at the Wickenburg Hospital when my grandmother was ailing and needed nursing at the hospital, and she met Larry's mother who pretty much saved my grandmother's life cuz she'd stopped eating and Larry's mother brought milkshakes and, and grilled cheese sandwiches to my grandmother in the hospital and my grandfather said you Mrs Quinn you you saved my Janet's life would you be her nurse at the house and she said yes she would she did it part time and uh, that brought the past into the present I remember more uh, Rusty and Susie because they were we were growing up as Rusty and Susie were growing up and Rusty was only a year maybe a year and a half older than I was but you know in those days a year and a half older was a big deal so he was my sister's age and Rusty was you know like king of the king of the cowboys out here you know the owner's son <laughs> he could do no wrong and Susie was this cute young girl who, you know, pretty much had her run of the mill as well. But it was great because they, they participated in the kids' program. You know, they were around. Now sometimes they were in school while we were here. They would they would eat dinner, eat meals with the kids and they were they were like part of the ranch family. They were just another ranch family. Speaking of which, another great memory was going on breakfast rides and lunch rides. And for some reason breakfast rides stick in my mind. I just love the smell of bacon over a campfire and scrambled eggs and fried potatoes over a campfire. So one of the early, very early breakfast rides, I'm out there and there's this man, this cowboy. He's stirring the the eggs and the bacon and there are these wonderful aromas coming off the campfire and I go up with my empty plate and he serves me eggs and bacon and maybe sausage and potatoes. And I said to the man who was serving it, I said, Are you one of the Wranglers? And he said, No, Robo, I'm the owner. <laughs> it was Dallas Dallas Gant down on his haunches, stirring the eggs, serving eggs to the to the kids and, and the adults, whoever was around. So he was a hands on he was a hands on ranch owner manager.
0: So what kind of trouble did you get in with Rusty and Susie?
1: Uh not that much that I remember. They, they were pretty well behaved, and Susie was enough younger that she was palling around with either Brother Charlie or my younger young sister or maybe even Brother David. I think I'm at least four years older than Susie. So, but it, I, I don't remember either of them getting in trouble. I, I think Dallas was a pretty tough hand and a pretty strict father and, and a no-nonsense kind of guy, so they had to kind of toe the line. You know, there, wasn't, there was so much fun around here, the riding, the playground, the games. Oh, and the counselors were very good about inventing games, shuffleboard, uh, putting games, uh, contests. They'd make contests of some kind. And a lot of the contests were down at the corrals, in the rodeo, you know, running with your legs tied or one leg tied to another person's leg and the egg, the egg, uh, the egg run on the, on the egg on the spoon. So, yeah, it was all good, innocent fun. I don't, I could tell you a lot of stories about drinking before the age of 21 back home in Wisconsin, but I don't remember ever drinking here at the ranch. You didn't need to. There was so much fun, so many things to do. You didn't need to sneak a beer or anything like
0: that. And you mentioned
1: the breakfast
0: menu on the breakfast ride. What was the food like back then? And how has it changed?
1: Pretty pretty simple, pretty basic as I recall, probably, you know, maybe maybe a hamburger at lunch, but mostly sandwiches at lunch. You know, build your own sandwich, make your own ham and cheese sandwich or whatever was available. I don't remember the big buffets that, that we have now, the buffet breakfasts and buffet lunches. Uh And there was always the kids' table. It's uh, in the back room where the kind of the private room. And the kids, we could go in there and eat our meals. Uh, And we were always finished with our meals before the adults even sat down, definitely at dinner time. We were out playing after our dinner by the time the parents finished their cocktail hour and got into the dining room. so And as we all know, the dining room had the same tables, the same furniture from when we started to the last year. But, so, but it was beautiful Mexican leather you know, chairs and just the decor was very western and a lot of Mexican influence. And I didn't really understand all the Mexican influence until Susie Gant gave us, Berkey gave us a tour within the last couple years and told us about all the, the Mexican history and how many of the uh, decor, uh, finer touches here, came from Santa Fe, which came from Mexico. Oh, we did some exploring around the ranch. We'd we pretty much be able to We we do hikes out into the desert. There was no golf course here, so it didn't take long to get into the desert. And we would do, I think my parents must have driven my parents crazy because we would collect rocks and gems. So whenever we saw quartzite, mica, or anything that looked like turquoise it came back to the room with us and we'd fill a big bag or a small suitcase full of rocks and that would go back on the train with us and whatever happened to those rocks i don't know my father probably threw them in the lake when we got when we got back to wisconsin so uh, but yeah we we were i wrote down here we played junior geologists collecting all kinds of rocks and specimens from the desert some, some of which was left here I recall they did have a little somewhere around the kids' room they had a room with rattlesnake skins and, and uh, any any bird uh, this was long before Dick Frederickson and, and his nature center there was just a nature room where whatever was found in the desert was brought into the nature room which might have been a, little, a dead animal that became a got some taxidermy done to it but uh, it was it was lots of learning about nature and geology just by being out in the desert, because nobody told us we couldn't go into the desert. You know, there was no fear in those days. And by the way, there were pretty obviously there there were no insurance release forms down at the corral or anywhere else on the ranch.
0: Did you have any wildlife encounters?
1: Uh, rattlesnakes. I think we all saw rattlesnakes. I honestly can't recall falling off a horse here at Lost Cab. I probably did at least once, actually now that I think of it in the corral, in one of the rodeos. I fell off the horse during a stake bending or a a barrel race competition. Um, But you always got back on the horse, no questions asked. (laughs) Nobody had to yell at you to get back on the horse, you just got back on the horse. That was part of the deal.
0: Do you remember coming out and then noticing things change over the years?
1: I don't remember any significant changes in the ranch from the early 50s when we started coming here through, all through the 60s. The, the big change for me was because I stopped, coming. got married in the early 70s. We had our three children in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And we didn't come to the ranch, our kids were ski racers in the winter, we didn't start coming back to the ranch until my parents built this home in 1995, 96. When my parents were living back on the ranch, that's when we started coming back here, and of course there were between 1970, late 60s, early 70s when I stopped coming here, and Mid-90s, when I came back, there were significant changes. Although the rooms, the guest rooms were pretty much the guest rooms. There were changes in the menu. There were changes in the dining room. but and the, and the new saloon. There was the new saloon versus the old saloon. And then there's that god-awful fence around the swimming pool. And our favorite diving board was gone. We have a picture of my grandparents. One of the only pictures I've been able to find of my grandmother... Outside her house at the ranch, was sitting on the diving board. My grandmother at one end, my grandfather at the other end, three or four of us grandkids sitting in between, and a nanny in a white in a white uh, outfit. <laughs> uh, talk that must have been a picture from the mid 50s. Uh, but there was there was a diving board in the pool, and there was no fence around the pool. And then when I came back in the mid 90s, there was a big fence around the pool, and the diving board was gone. So there's a big change, and and the golf course. Yeah, suddenly there's there's certainly the front nine was there, and there are all these homes around the front nine that I hadn't seen before. The back nine wasn't fully developed in the in the mid 90s. That came a little bit later. And my grandparents' home was gone, long long gone. Like I said, under somebody's garage. And uh, uh, but it still it it kept, as you know, and as everyone around here knows. The ranch has kept its its basic character and philosophy as a family ranch, a family riding ranch and now a golf ranch, golf resort. It kept that history all through the Rusty Gantt years. And my hat goes off to Rusty and his sister Susie for maintaining the character and the history of the ranch as a family ranch over the years. And I'm sure that was not... Not an easy thing for them to do, but they, they did it. Hats off to that. And, and then, you know, the later years when I bought this house three or four years ago for my parents' estate, um, it's, they started with the, the corporate retreats at the ranch, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's the way you keep the doors open at the ranch. You, you've got to have these corporate groups come in here at the, at the slow times. January, February, November, uh, excluding Thanksgiving, Uh, early December, bring the corporate groups in to pay the bills and keep the doors open. I get it.
0: What brought you back, do you think, and what kept you coming back?
1: Well, the primary thing that brought me back, and sometimes with the kids, and sometimes with my wife, Kathy, was visiting my parents who were aging. They're in their 80s now. And their health is, you know, like everyone in their 80s, you don't know how many more years you're going to have with them. So I'd come here at least once a year in March, usually around my father's birthday on March 9th, to visit my parents. And sometimes Kathy and one of our kids would come along. Sometimes in the later years, I'd come alone. Um, Our kids, unfortunately, did not grow up as horseback riders and did not spend enough time at this ranch unlike my brother Charlie, who loved riding and did 10 to 15 DC rides and brought his kids here every spring break, just like my parents did when when we were growing up. Brother Charlie really continued the Brumder family transit history at the ranch in the 70s and 80s by bringing his young children here. And they all came here. Pretty much every year, if, if, if they missed a year, it was unusual.
0: How do you think growing up around the ranch and then returning later influenced your life?
1: Oh, well, it was obviously a positive influence and a very fortunate blessed, you know. In and, and those days, you took it for granted. That's where the grandparents were, that's where we're going at spring break. We get on the train and go through that routine. Um, we took it for granted. You know, it wasn't until probably somewhere in the in the 90s that I looked back and realized, oh my God, were we lucky? Oh, were we lucky? And I didn't mention it. the first time I flew down here for to visit uh, to come to the ranch and visit someone was in the mid 90s when I came to visit my parents. Before that, it was always on the train or in a in a in a camper, pulling a not a camper but a International Harvester pulling a trailer full of camping gear. My last train trip was probably in the mid to late 60s. Um, I don't know when the the Santa Fe Chief. We could look that up easily enough. When the last Santa Fe Chief came down here, but uh, a couple years ago, after we bought this house, Kathy and I drove up to Winslow, Arizona, which is a great side trip. You know, Route 66, and in Winslow they have a they they have a wonderful inn there uh, that's one of the um, Harvey Fred Harvey uh, inns uh, and they have a great museum there about the railroad which still stops the Amtrak still stops in Winslow at this this Fred Harvey resort I can't think of the name um, and they have a great so if anyone's interested in railroad history and uh, uh, Santa Fe Chief history. It's there in Winslow, Arizona.
0: Do you remember seeing any planes flying?
1: I, I do. i riding past the airstrip and seeing, and on horseback, because, you know, we'd ride out that way. Most of the rides went out that way. I don't, I don't remember riding the trail in between the houses. I don't remember that at all. Well, those houses weren't here when I was growing up. The golf course wasn't here and the houses weren't here. So we would ride past the airstrip, and the horse run is the same horse run that's always been there. Um, although the original corral was down probably around the first fairway of the golf course on the left as you're driving into the ranch. Um, But we would ride past the airstrip, and there would be one or two King Airs sitting on the airstrip with the the twin-engine, rotary-engine, propeller-engine King Airs, and maybe one or two Cessnas. And I don't know if one of those was a Gantt Airplane, Rusty or his father's, I I don't know. But, uh, yeah, and seeing an airplane take off, I don't remember seeing one land at that airstrip, but I remember seeing one take off. A couple of them take off, and a cloud of dust and a lot of noise. Sure, they timed it to not be taking off or landing when there was a ride going on, although when a plane needs to land, they need to land, and if there were horses around, they probably didn't care, but they could time the takeoffs to not be when a ride was anywhere close by. So, yeah, the airstrip airstrip was a big part of the character of the ranch. And you knew if someone was landing in their king air, they were a big shot. (laughs) They were somebody important. Did
0: you ever encounter any important people?
1: Uh, Well, I think we were all important. The Gantt family made you feel like you were always important guests and you were always part of the ranch family. They were very friendly, outgoing, particularly Edie. uh, But from Edie through Dallas and Rusty and Susie, they always made you feel like you were part of the ranch family, like you were the most important guests. And I found out many years later, there were a lot of important families. We were just one of probably 30 to 50 families that came here at different times.
0: What do you hope the legacy of the ranch will
1: be? I think the new owners are already doing a great job of keeping the legacy going. And from what I understand, the philosophy of the no owners is to maintain this ranch as well to provide significant upgrades and improvements, you know, bring it into the 21st century, but maintain the, the character as a four or five star family oriented, Horseback riding golf resort. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's not easy. Times times are always changing, and uh, but I, I the good news is that the new owners the new owners are all two three generation ranch families, so they have a built in incentive to keep this ranch going as a as a family ranch. Certainly at major holidays Thanksgiving. Christmas, New Year's, and spring break, Easter. It'll be a family ranch. I think in between those times, there will be corporate retreats and corporate outings here at the ranch. Let's face it, that's what helps pay the bills and keeps, keeps the ranch going. There's talk that they're going to try and run it as a 12-month, full-season, year-round ranch, and hats off to them. Good luck. <laughs> but uh, I guess the Europeans like the hot desert summers and they'll have special horses here that can handle the hot desert summers
0: where does robo come
1: from Uh, handle for robert my father's name was always bobby uncle bobby to all his cousins he was the hero of the family he was also the caboose of the family different story different family but they didn't want two bobbies running around the house so by the age of two i became robo i had an uncle who the nickname robo
0: well thank you robo
1: you're welcome susie thank you for the opportunity
0: thank you for joining us on the souvenirs podcast i hope you enjoyed today's episode and be sure to share with your friends and family if you're feeling really generous give us a review and rating this podcast is produced by susie minor background music written and performed by dick frederickson thanks for tuning in till next time